0: Does New York City have a handle on hate crimes? And so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State – I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org.
1: And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Yeah, so as we mentioned at the top of the show today, we're discussing the multi-year recent rise in hate crimes, especially anti-Semitic hate crimes, and we'll be doing that in two conversations today. The first one, we are joined now by former New York City Councilmember David Greenfield, who now leads uh, the Met Council. F- Councilmember Greenfield, good to talk with you. How are you?
2: Great to be on the show. Thank you very much. Big fan of your work, and no thrilled to be a part of it.
1: Thank you. This is Ben Max of Gotham Gazette with Jared Murphy at City Limits, of course. Um, so, why don't we why don't we jump right in from your perspective? Um, talk a little bit about your sort of assessment of what's been happening in recent months, recent years. How are you sort of thinking about the problem of this increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes, and uh, you know, specifically, of course, also violent attacks.
2: Sure. So this has been something that, as you know, I've been following very closely for years since I've been in the city council. And we've been seeing this trending upward every single year. This year is a record year. This past year, 2019, over 220 anti-Semitic hate crimes. It's worth noting that the you pointed out not the only hate crimes, but they are the majority of the hate crimes in New York, which is crazy when you think about it are anti-Semitic hate crimes. So well over half of the hate crimes are targeting Jews. And this has been something that uh, I've been looking at for many years. And as you know, this is, in fact, why five years ago in the city council, I worked to pass legislation to provide non-public schools with the same security guard personnel that public schools have because we saw this coming. And I don't think that anyone could have anticipated the depth of the problem and certainly the rise in violent anti-Semitic crimes, which we're seeing, including assaults and robberies and, uh, and uh, other sorts of crimes uh, as well. And obviously the unconscionable crimes that we're seeing, which are the murders and attempted murders that we've seen both in New Jersey and in Rockland County, New York. And I think that's something that has everybody really concerned and has really created a tipping point right now where there is a discernible fear within the identifiably orthodox Jewish community and that's an important point because this particular community the orthodox Jewish community is very identifiable by the way they dress and the fact that they tend to live in certain communities based on religious and cultural needs.
0: I wanted to ask about that because you know we obviously we've seen the headlines we've seen the numbers and but the point you raise about the effect this is having on people's outlooks, their feelings about their daily life is something we want to tap into. And many of my Jewish friends, very few of whom uh, wear visible signs of their faith, uh, they, they they treat anti-Semitic incidents in kind of an interesting nuanced way. They're very vigilant about them for obvious reasons, but they also are kind of um, tough about it or, or they're, they're they're used to it in the sense that they tend not to panic because frankly they've had to see it so often in their lives and so they kind of hold it at sort of arm's length between um ignoring it and letting it really really affect their their day-to-day goings-on uh what do you think the people that you work with and the folks in your community what effect is this having day-to-day is this something people are talking about is it affecting choices people make in terms of where they go and when what's the kind of ground level impact of it
2: Yeah, I think, look, I think there is a real split, honestly, between those who are identifiably Jewish and those who are not, right? The reality is that if you are wearing a yarmulke, for example, which is very identifiable, and I think just about every New Yorker knows what a yarmulke is, which is a traditional Jewish head covering, or if you're Hasidic and you are very obviously Jewish, because in many cases you're wearing a long coat and you have a long beard and you might be wearing a black hat or even a fur hat. I think those communities are feeling it more so because the crimes are easier to commit against those folks because they stick out. I can tell you that as somebody who wears a yarmulke and has worn one my entire life, I have heard comments. And I have uh, uh, certainly nothing that has risen to the level of uh, an assault. But I definitely have had seen an increase of comments and anti-Semitic remarks myself. And I can tell you that from many friends and associates, it is having an impact, and when you think about the fact that these things are happening in people's communities and neighborhoods such as Crown Heights, and Williamsburg, and Borough Park, and Flatbush, I can tell you that from speaking to folks, people are being more cautious, and people definitely are a little bit more nervous about going out at night or going out alone, and uh, especially, quite frankly, which is uh, something that I noticed recently is that in the past, a lot of these crimes targeted men. And we're seeing now women who are identifiably orthodox are targets as well. And I've heard from many women who do not feel safe uh, walking out in the street alone and who will try not to walk around at night.
1: That's hard to hear. Uh, what what is the sense um that you have in, again on you know from folks who are on the ground who are in in these communities um what's the sense of 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 how you know people are are responding what they're what they're looking for what they're doing on their own versus what they're looking for from from government from nonprofits um you know what's the sort of uh, individual and and community level action that's being taken, and then what's you know what's being looked for from from other places more institutionally.
2: Yeah, so I think you know I think by and large that there is a, a general broad disappointment in the actions that government has taken. Right. I mean, you don't uh, need me to tell you that. I think you've seen that there's been a lot of criticism from really city, state, local elected leaders who feel like. In the end of the day, the number one thing that you want to feel as a citizen, no matter who you are or what your background is, you want to feel safe. And the or the, the, large swaths of the orthodox community where the population today doesn't feel safe. And I think that's really uh, what's uh, frustrating. And I, th- I believe that clearly uh, we have seen recent attempts at trying to react to that. We've seen more police presence. Uh, within the NYPD and even the state police in these uh, communities. And there has been uh, a releasing of some funds in terms of some grants. The governor just announced another grant as well. But that doesn't, as you know, and you folks are experts more so than most talk show hosts, right, to get that funding takes time. Until it reaches people, it takes time. And I think uh, there is broad frustration and concern that this not be a flavor of the month type of issue, right? Because this issue is continuing and it's something that is impacting the identifiably Jewish community on a very regular basis. And I think there is broad concern about that. And then it does get obviously a lot more complicated once you deal with issues where there is a perception that some changes in the law, such as portions of the bail reform, which I think by and large, are generally popular within the broader Jewish community. But when you see someone who gets arrested and should be remanded because of their history of violence towards people of a certain ethnicity, whether they be Jewish or African-American or Hispanic or LGBTQ, and that person ends up on the street again, that is frustrating people uh, as well. And then there are people obviously trying to take advantage of those political uh, situation. So a lot of complicated issues at play over here, but I would say that the broad sentiment in the community is frustration and certainly some palpable fear as well.
1: Just on the increased police presence, um, is there any concern about that or is that universally welcomed and and felt like it is you know, what the community wants and what what or what these various communities want that that often have similar characteristics, but that what these communities sure. communities want and that it makes people feel safer and that it actually has an impact uh, on the, Absolutely. the issue that we're talking about.
2: You know, it's, it's so funny because uh, I think a lot of us, you know, I always like to tell folks, and especially when I'm a guest on Inside City Hall, I always like to say that Twitter is not real life, right? But a lot of us spend time on Twitter and you'll see someone – On Twitter be critical. The the, the handful of people who have criticized the increased police presence within the Orthodox Jewish communities, guess what? They don't live in those communities. So I laugh at that, right? Because it's pretty cute that if you don't live in a community, you should say, how dare the police have increased presence? The overwhelming majority of these communities are incredibly supportive and appreciative to have more police presence, and that helps them feel safer. And so I can tell you from walking the streets and talking to community leaders, it's the opposite. People want more police presence. They want more safety. They want more visibility. They want more deterrence and more of an ability to for the police to respond quickly to these crimes that are happening. And the final thing that's actually worth noting is there's actually a huge problem of underreporting of these crimes as well, because... If you think about it realistically, if you walk down the street and someone spits at you or yells at you or screams at you, which is not uncommon, you're probably not going to take the time to file a police report because you figure what's really going to happen. And then when you see situations where there are multiple offenders, where someone has done this again and again and again, and they're let out, Of jail, and it appears like there's no accountability for these very specific hate crimes, it frustrates you as well. And you say, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to report it either. So I actually believe that there's a significant underreporting of hate crimes, especially anti Semitic crimes in New York City.
0: Let's pull back. We've talked about what's happened, its impact, we've talked a little bit about your critique of the response so far but take us back a step further and let's talk about why you feel this is happening what is driving this what is driving this uh new surge over the past year a lot of theories have been uh posited over the past several months as to what that might be um is it is it just one thing is a lot of different things do all these incidents kind of stem from the same root what do you think is the kind of causal factor or factors here
2: well, I think there. Are, I think you really have to divide it, and there are sort of multiple different factors, and I think that anyone that's trying to point to one root cause, I think it's wrong. I think that there are different incidents that are happening. Some of them are driven by people who are younger people, where clearly education or lack of education on these issues is a factor. Others are being dealt with individuals who have mental health problems, And there's all sorts of factors over there, including the fact that people have not been receiving proper mental health uh, treatments. And then some of it, obviously, is just good old fashioned anti-Semitism. So I think it's a complicated issue in terms of breaking it up, which is why I think there needs to be a multitude of responses. You definitely need, and the community wants to see more security and safety and security measures. At the same time, you definitely need more education, especially for younger people who may not interact with the community and have biases for a variety of reasons. And I think that you definitely need to look at the mental health component um, as well. But then again, to be fair, mental health can't be used as an excuse. There are many people who struggle with mental health. They don't pick up a machete and try to chop their neighbors, right? So I think that we just have to look at all of this holistically. And I think the attempt and the rush to attempt To try to blame any one person or any one cause I think is really quite frankly ignorant and is not helpful I think that we should be looking at it and saying what are the immediate steps that we could take to deal with it right now and then let's take a step back and once we've dealt with those immediate steps what can we do on the bigger picture issue and acknowledge that this is not a right-wing issue or a left-wing issue it's an issue that permeates from every segment of society and it's something that we all have to deal with. And all of us have a responsibility to fight hatred and bigotry, regardless of where it comes from. And when it happens to be that the number one and most popular hate crime in New York City, anti-Semitic hate crimes, is incumbent upon all of us to figure and say, OK, what can we do to make the situation better?
1: Talk a little bit more about what you see in terms of the education component, working with young people. There's discussion about you know, teaching more young people about um, the Holocaust. There's discussion about more field trips to um, the Holocaust Museum, something the governor was talking about, about adding money to expand the museum in lower Manhattan. Um you know, figuring out ways for young people in neighboring communities to see each other more, spend more time with each other, get to know each other's cultures. I mean, are these things that you see as solutions um, as well? And if so, you know, what do you think should be at the top of the the priority list there?
2: Yeah, there's no question that the city and state of New York are spending in the neighborhood of $30 billion a year educating 1.1 million public school children. And we certainly should be integrating into those curriculum this kind of training where we're able to focus on that. And we, for example, at Met Council, as the largest Jewish charity serving the poor in New York, we work very hard to try to work with the diversity of communities. We had a entire uh, program, a day of giving back on MLK Day, which happened this week. And we were at multiple locations, including at the JCC of Harlem, where we had uh, folks from a variety of communities, but including folks from the African American and Hispanic and Jewish communities, working together side by side to help those people in all of these communities who are impoverished to try to improve their lives through packages. In this case, we were doing hygiene packages, and we were doing spice packages as well as um, as well as cleaning supplies. And I think that's the kind of hands-on work when you begin to see. Your neighbors through a different prism, I think that shatters a lot of the stereotypes that people have. And you realize, wow, many of us are struggling, and there is a problem and frustration, quite frankly, that I hear consistently from people in the Jewish community that is very similar to what you hear from people in the African American community as it relates to gentrification and home prices going up and the lack of affordable housing. These are very similar issues. And you have large swaths of this Jewish community that are struggling and that are in fact are living in poverty. And I think that when you have these kinds of opportunities where you can actually work together, I think to me that's a lot more powerful than just simply getting uh, a lecture in one class once a year on the importance of diversity.
0: So, talk in the few minutes we have left, uh, David, about if you're an individual listening at home. And, and obviously, one way you can contribute to solving this problem is uh, is not to participate in in any acts of hate. We would assume that's that's baseline. But you know, you're not in a position to direct money. You're not in a place where you can set up a program. You're just a Brooklynite uh, trying to live decently and and in a way that's welcoming to all sorts of neighbors. What do you think something that individual people can do? To be part of the solution here, because you know, as you said, we, we may we may wait to get the top-down uh, government-led solution, whether it's it's days or weeks or years. Uh, and obviously, the problem is now. Any any advice for individuals?
2: Absolutely, I think the number one thing that you can do is, and this is the advice is given for many years here in New York City, which is see something, say something. I think the problem is that as New Yorkers, we tend to mind our own business. I'm trying to get from point A to point B and don't bother me, and why should I get involved? I've witnessed situations where there have been things that were said and they were either anti-Semitic or bigoted, and New Yorkers just kept walking. The answer is that if you want to live in a city that is inclusive and that is welcoming, it is your problem. Don't say it's not my problem, I'm going to move on. And I, I, I instruct this to people in every community, right? If you see something that is happening towards someone else, and a person is being verbally or physically or otherwise assaulted and insulted, step in. And you'll see these things on social media, for example, where there's a video and someone is berating someone else and everybody is sitting there on the train, whistling, reading a book, listening to their pods, and pretending like nothing's going on. That's unacceptable. To me, that's the number one thing that you can do, which is intervene, call 911, walk over and support that person. We have a responsibility for each other. And I think that if if we want to be a welcoming and inclusive city, we certainly should support each other during times of crisis.
1: Uh, in our last uh, two minutes here, we're going to be joined after we talk with you uh, by Deborah Lauder, um, who I don't know if you've had a chance to get to know at all, who's leading the new Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes um, out of out of the de Blasio administration. Is there anything in particular, um, you know, that that you want to see more from the city administration, including uh, Miss Lauder's office that is just getting going? Is there anything, uh, you know, that you think when we chat with her, we should be sure to raise with her?
2: So I I actually had the opportunity to march across the bridge recently at the rally that was organized by UJ Federation and other groups uh, with Uh, Deborah, and we had a chance to chat. I think that one thing that is important, and we just briefly touched on it, but I think it's important as well, is that there is a big conversation happening right now about bail reform. And in general, just so you understand where I'm from, I'm a big supporter of bail reform, and I certainly do not believe that simply because you're the Republican minority leader of the Assembly, that if you drive drunk, that you should get out of jail, it's in 15 minutes, but if you borrow your uncle's car and you live in central Brooklyn, you should be stuck in jail for two weeks. I think, however, we can have a sophisticated discussion about a question of remand, which is that if someone is likely to engage in a crime again and again and again, and people who fall into the hate crime categories are in fact likely to do that again and again and again because they're hateful people, that the judges should have the tools And one of those tools should be the ability to potentially remand someone who is involved in a hate crime. In fact, there's legislation that's currently being sponsored by Assemblymember Simcha Eisenstein and Senator Andrew Kennardis that would rectify this situation. And I think the city should weigh in in a measured approach, which is to say that we support bail reform. We certainly do not want poor people to sit in jail simply because they do not have the cash to post for bail. As someone who runs the largest Jewish charity in New York, I absolutely endorse that. But at the same time, we do want to have limited tools that we can give to judges when there are situations where there are repeat offenders. And I think the city could play a leadership role in this issue as this conversation is being discussed in Albany as an important progressive issue.
0: Well, David Greenfield, some excellent points. Thank you so much for joining us. Former city council member and the CEO at the Met Council, uh, we appreciate your being on and uh, hope you will come back on again soon.
2: Looking forward. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh,
0: Ben, any broad response to what we heard from former council member Greenfield? Uh, I mean, I I think
1: hearing from him, you know, about – how people's behavior might be changing on the ground in their communities where people just want to go about their daily business is a very sobering, you know, thought that those of us who don't live in those communities obviously aren't seeing uh, necessarily on any type of regular basis, if at all. And so it's an important reminder that as we talk about, you know, citywide data and programs and, you know, I know Gotham Gazette, we're very focused on, you know, city hall and policy and things like that. You know, hearing from people who obviously can talk about experiences in their communities is very important. <laughs>